Welcome to Grizzle Pod episode 21. Scott, we're here. Scott Willis, Tom George, this is the Grizzle Pod. Scott, tell everybody what the Grizzle Pod's about. If they don't know, they gotta know. Man, the Grizzle Pod is powering you up to make some good investments. We're ahead of the game telling you about the overall global economy, individual stocks, teaching you about investing. It's basically everything. So this is, if you start your week off with the Grizzle Pod, you're going to be in good shape. And this is, uh, you know, this is not a boomer money pod. This is like, this is millennial focused. And what we, what we be, if you followed us on Twitter, if you followed us on LinkedIn, you guys know what we, you know, the types of calls that we make. We focus on growth opportunities, uh, you know, tangible growth opportunities. This is not science fair projects, but that's critically, you know, when someone say, well, you know, what, what's the difference between Grizzle and Arc? Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, we're not, we're not invested in the, in uh, deep outer space science fair. And I'm not saying, you know, if that's your cup of tea, all good, but I think the, the fundamental rules of finance haven't changed, Scott, cash flows, cash flow. And, you know, if, if I can't see visibility to that in five years, well, then what do I have? Yeah, it's risky to play, you know, future sci-fi stock investments because, you know, when people yeah. love them, they love them. And when they hate them, they hate them. So yeah. a, a little <laughs> too risky for our blood. Uh, that's, that's, you know, we think about things a bit differently than the arcs of the world. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, I think this, I, you know, we are obviously biased, but I think it's all, it'll all come through is that if you follow the grizzle uh, strategic uh, outlook on growth, you're going to get much less volatility. You're going to still get that big bang growth in your portfolio vis-a-vis -vis returns, and you're going to get cash flow. So these are all the, the trifecta that you want uh, because uh, part of the journey is just how you get there, Scott. Yeah. You, don't want, you, you, know, you don't want to be hodl, hodl till the end of the world. Like, you know, that's not a good feeling to be, you know, saying, yeah, yeah, don't worry. You know, I'll, I'll be back in a decade. Yeah, your well-being is important too. You don't want to have to be glued to your screen while, you know, there's beautiful weather outside. Live your life. We want the live your life portfolio. That's what we go for. Exactly. Uh, so we're focused on fundamentals, Scott. And what powers us up, guys? Uh, as you know, we've been grinding on this now. Episode 21. We were thankful uh, midway through, not even midway through. Like I think after, Episode like, uh, six or seven. Six or seven. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, the fine folks at uh, at Y Charts, the one and only, uh, reached out to us and said, "Listen, let's do. Uh, you know, we love what you guys are doing. Uh, you guys are power users." They said, "Scott, power." They're users. right. <laughs> they read it correctly. We use Y Charts for most of our stuff. So if you've graduated past the charting phase, where you say, "Oh, I'm looking at the chart. This is telling me whether I buy or sell stock," you want to learn a bit more about the companies. Y Charts is where you go. You can go as deep as you want in fundamentals, or they have amazing charting. That's what we use a lot to just visualize the state of each company and decide if is this a buy or a sell in my portfolio. Yeah, and, and you know I think there's two, like uh, the the most straight ahead way in terms of looking at a stock, you pull up the price chart, right, Scott? Like that's you know, and there's 1,500 million different ways to slice that, and you know um, I think if you want to get into the next level is you start to look at fundamental charts. I'm talking about income statement, balance sheet. You start to look at them like charts, like as you would the other, you know, and that will tell you, in our view, a far more powerful story. Now, you obviously can marry, you marry that with the price action as well, but, you know, that gives you that kind of 3D view on the company that you really don't get in the two-dimensional price, right? You, you, you know, if you really want to see why price is banged out, 
there's probably a good fundamental chart for that. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't know where to start, that's why you check out Grizzle because we talk you through, you can see our process, how we start from nothing and analyze a company and say, oh, this is a good bet. This is a good stock. This is a bad stock. You'll see the whole thing. You can ask questions. So we're out here to help you guys do what we do. Yep, exactly. Uh, Scott, we've got a big, so uh, guys, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of different content coming through, uh, but I just want to highlight for everyone. I know we're going to get into it a little later. Scott's been banging out the hits, man. Hits. He's a, he's a celebrity now on this, uh, on that TikTok. Man. There's just too Rock much content, man. Robin Hood, the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving. So we're going to cover it. Oh uh, yeah. So Scott's been cranking it out on uh, TikTok. Um, it, and it's, it, we've actually put it, put it on YouTube. We put it on Insta, wherever you are, we're finding you. Uh, but the beauty of this stuff is, uh, really, you know, I think the, the beauty of that platform and just the minute Scott, it's just like, you just, it's just like you, you explain it in a very clear, concise way. And it's a minute hot clip, right? I love it. You just kind of like you piece together a story, which, uh, let's be frank, Scott, we live in an ADD society, man. Uh, you got to give it to people the way they consume it. You know what I mean? Like plopping a 500-page report on, on Robin Hood on someone's desk and say, I figured it out. <laughs> those those days are so uh, 2019. <laughs> uh, no yeah. doubt, man. Low, no low doubt. commitment, uh, high value. That's what we're going for. Yeah, exactly. So, sp- so speaking anyway, of Robin Hood. there. Speaking of Robin Hood, that's one of the topics on today's pod. So we're going to be taking you through some of the content that we dropped. Make sure to check out Insta, TikTok, Twitter. It's all out there. If you want to learn more, we're going to take you, give you some of the quick hits on Robinhood because this is one of the, the most hyped IPOs, one of the most controversial IPOs we've seen in, say, two years. So it's, it's worth checking out. And also on, on deck today, we got a little bit on Bitcoin. We got to talk about Bitcoin. Has it awakened or not? It was going gangbusters last night. Tom's going to talk yeah. you through it. And then we got to talk about, you know, earnings has kicked off tech. There was a little bit of tech last week. We're going to tell you what our favorites were from earnings last week and why. And then we got to talk oil. We think there's a big problem in the oil market. There's a coming oil shortage. Can it be as bad as 2008 and some of those other periods? We're going to explain what's going on here. And then lastly, is coffee, is it the new lumber? Coffee futures going through the roof. We're going to compare it to lumber. Should you be worried about the price of your cup of joe? Got a lot here. A lot here, Scott. Um, let's kick it off with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So, so what's off. going on? Why, why are we talking about Bitcoin right now? Yeah, so uh, so uh, late Sunday, uh, we were, you know, just, uh, you know, Scott and I kind of collab and just figure out how the week's going. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's going on here. Bitcoin has awakened. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you can see this is the beauty of Twitter. We're we're on Twitter. I just start seeing lots of tweets on Bitcoin showing Bitcoin charts, like moon yeah, yeah. moon rockets. And you're like, all right, something's up. <laughs> I'm going to check this chart. Oh, Lo and behold, yeah, well, Bitcoin you know, has awoken. Like, yeah, exactly. And so you know we're we're flirting, uh, getting very very close to 40k. Uh, there's a chart right there, beautiful chart. Uh, should I read it? Right? Sorry, 38 and change, uh, 38,000 and change, 38,300. So it's kind of worked um, out like you were so, saying, right? So Weren't just... you saying if Bitcoin can hold 30 or if it goes below 30, it doesn't stay there for long? And I saw other people saying that too. That's a strong signal for kind of the staying power, 
power of Bitcoin at that price. Yeah. So I had this, you know, I had this other view that basically, um, you know, this crazy oscillation of Bitcoin, let's call it, you know, go to go to six, you know, go to 65,000, come back to 20, you know, shoot up and down. That's not good for Bitcoin. Right. So my own my own view is that it's far more healthy. Uh, and I've highlighted it in this picture here, the, the basically 40 and 30,000. It's far more healthy for an asset like Bitcoin, which is a store of wealth. Like this, this is not the same way you'd look at a, a at a company, right, Scott? It's very, very different, right? This is what, you know, if I'm going to treat it like a store of wealth, well, what are the things I kind of need it to work? Well, I don't want it to be that volatile. And I think that's one of the knocks on Bitcoin. So my personal view is that this consolidation is a good thing. Um, it, you know, that chart, like you're just seeing the consolidation there is a great thing. Uh, now, but what was troubling about that chart, if you can pull that chart back up, Scott, if you, th that chart, what was troubling about that chart is so you want it to remain in this 30 to 40,000 and which is fine. But the problem is, is that you see here, like, you know, call it mid-May when it started to consolidate into this range, it's kind of falling down right like the mostly observations aren't on you know they aren't on the upside of, of the uh you know of that range so that becomes a bit of a challenge because you're getting this kind of you're getting this force uh called falling wedge whatever you know but you're getting this force downwards and that needs to resolve either you break through 30 on the downside or you go back up uh closer to 40 and then you continue to average and oscillate and i think my own personal view it is it isn't a good thing if Bitcoin breaks through forty thousand, and I'll explain. I'll explain that right right now. I think the better the better ID the better long term outcome for Bitcoin is if it stays range bound in this area, shaking all the speculative weak hands, whatever. Just keep, keep make this base as long as possible because I don't care, right? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, everybody wants this instant gratification. But if you really care about this asset and if you are truly hodling, right? It's got like, you know, if you're truly hodling, well, you want the outcome that's be the best for the asset. And it isn't to oscillate to 65, come back to 40, oscillate. Like that's going to, sh that's not going to create a lot that's of, not going to um, bring in banks and companies that are selling cars want you to own they you can buy your car on bitcoin because look we only sold off three months ago so if it goes back to 60 that's what tom is saying still very volatile you want it to kind of stay in this range and be boring for a period of time then right. increase gradually you don't want assets to go to the moon right away because that Boom. that kind of scares people yeah yeah, and so I think it's so this move to 40 is good uh, for the only reason that it takes the uh, you want the average to be right at 35, right? So now you need some observations on the uh, on, between 35 and 40. You need some observations below, but right, we were having a problem before this where a lot of the observations were below 35, right? The average was still bang on at 35, but we were risking if we were staying down at those levels that would start to creep creep lower. So now um, I'd say balance has been resolved. Now, the reason this jumped is it's kind of like a trivial, like, well, I mean, there was a job posting from Amazon seeking an executive to develop the company's digital currency and blockchain strategy. That's what's that. Develop the strategy. Out. That doesn't mean build products. It means we don't know what to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> Tell us what to do. We're going to start planning some stuff. So, I mean, this this just shows how early the Bitcoin market is, where news events like that can move an entire market. Can you imagine the gold price going up this amount on yeah, yeah. what some company's doing with gold? Yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's Jeff crazy. Bezos likes gold now. That's the headline. <laughs> right, right. He has some uh, in his office. 
Yeah, and, and that's what we've always, you know, that that's been kind of the uh, the compare and contrast of gold versus Bitcoin, right? It really, the, gold has having a tough time getting on the podium and taking the microphone. <laughs> Literally, Bitcoin can rally on a, on a what a what is probably just a tr like you know what not trivial, but it's like a fringe story in the sense you need more meat to what what's going on here. But uh, but I would say this, Scott, just to kind of validate a bit, right? So what happens, right? So this week that just passed, we had um, the B. What was it? The the B word uh, that was uh, Kathy Wood. Um, you had Kathy Wood. Um, Jack Elon Musk on Twitter and Jack Dorsey to discuss Bitcoin. Now, I didn't see, I saw some clips of it, but you know, I didn't see the whole thing in its entirety. But needless to say, uh, Elon had come out, you know, not disfavorably to Bitcoin. He's like, listen, I own it and I, you know, Tesla owns it, I own it, whatever. Uh, we own it all across the board. That was obviously very positive for Bitcoin, but net, net, Scott, it, it's like, you know, the real question is, uh, you know, what people want to see the narrative here is what happens when Jeff Bezos comes on that screen as well and says i, oh, I mean that's you know, that's um, as it, that that's as positive as when elon started talking about dogecoin and, and bitcoin and everything oh wait and you know like jeff's got his head on right you know what i mean like elon's doing like obviously elon's doing a lot of great things etc but like the guy's all over the map uh if jess jeff says it you know this is like one of the greatest industrial minds of our you know of our lifetime you know if Jeff starts talking about it, you know, there's gonna be some real weight there, right? This is one of the greatest industrialists of our time. Uh, this is not a guy who's kind of, you know, flipping, uh, you know, flipping jerseys every, you know, every Monday kind of thing, right? This is a guy who's laser go. And if, uh, you know, that, that obviously, you know, this is what, this is a real bull case here where you get more uh, leaders, real super leaders uh, get on board. Yeah, I mean, he's much more risk averse than Elon Musk. So if he says something about it, he's like ready to do something with Bitcoin. Elon, you know, might it might be late at night. He's a little delirious. He'll tweet something about we're doing this right. a bit. Remember, you could buy your Tesla with Bitcoin, and then you couldn't. So, <laughs> flip flops a bit. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, storylines are always always getting uh, yeah. swapped around. Um, but that was Bitcoin. You know, we didn't we didn't we were just going to talk about it a little bit, but you know what? Lot, lots to lots to uh, wax. You know, it's it's um, easy to go down the rabbit hole in Bitcoin. Oh, for sure. And, and it's a fun asset, man. Yeah. And, and j just so it's clear, we're long Bitcoin. All right. So we're long Bitcoin. Uh, we are also long gold, but uh, our our definite uh, leaning is towards Bitcoin. But I think you own both, uh, you know, covers you in, in the world of money printing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, earnings, we had somewhat of an exciting week in earnings. We did a Twitter spaces every morning. If you guys want it, if you're on yeah. Twitter, check that out. We've been going about 9.15, 9.30. We're going to do that this yeah, week yeah. as well. Earnings is a great way to just get a little barometer check on how the economy is doing. Because you hear from housing companies, you hear from tech companies, you hear from like water treatment plants, you know, it's everything. So, you know, last week started with uh, airlines, industrial companies. We heard from some housing companies. Then we got some tech. That's what we're talking about because that was our highlight of earnings, yep. specifically Twitter and Snap earnings. Both of them, if you saw the stocks were up big, Twitter was up, Snap was up a lot bigger than Twitter, but Twitter also yep. had pretty nice earnings. So we wanted to tell you a little bit about what's, what's going on there because they're both in the same space, you know, social media. I think you, you can think of both of them similarly. 
it's not growth stories in that they're starting with a small base of users. They're yeah. pretty much tapped out in North America, in the West. You see their growth numbers are kind of slow in, for both companies. It's really yeah. monetization. They're both finding ways to better monetize. We all know Twitter has a very active fan base. They're under monetization. So they're not earning as much as say a Facebook would on those same people. Snap kind of was losing people to competitors. They've turned it around and found their niche in augmented reality. They're showing some growth in users, but more importantly, they're making a lot more money off those users. So that's why Snap in the last four quarters has beaten earnings revenue every single time. The stock has gone up big. But now if you compare the two, what would I say, which would I be buying? There's a valuation disconnect where Snap, the market is already pricing in really good times ahead versus Twitter is kind of just gaining steam. This was one of the first quarters where really the revenue growth has come through. They've said they're working on things, but now they've hired a bunch of engineers. They're rolling mm -hmm. out new products much quicker. That's what you gotta do. Roll out products, it works, yeah. you keep it, it doesn't work, you kill it. They're at that yeah. stage. So Twitter is a lot cheaper than Snap. If I had to play a turnaround, Snap's already a year into their turnaround, the market's well aware. Twitter is maybe one quarter, two quarters into theirs, lot more room to run, cheaper stock. So I'd be I'd be playing Twitter. But overall it seems like social media companies, they're all doing pretty well. It's just yeah. if you want you want to play turnarounds here, you don't you probably will make more money that way than playing a Facebook that already is doing great. Yeah, and, you know, just just the Twitter and obviously we're you know, we're heavy users of Twitter, so you know, we understand the platform, the power of the platform and, and I think what Jack has uh um, has been a great advocate for is uh, the opportunity to create a plat platform where like real conversation happens, right? If you know LinkedIn, it's all just contrived. It's like, oh, look at this, some like sort yeah. of shitty inspirational story. And it's like, it's just, you know, it's I It's a try, bunch of business but... strangers trying to be very polite to each other. Twitter is like, F you, F you. It's like some <laughs> construction workers on the streets in New York. That's what Twitter's like. Yeah, you know, you know, and, and like, mind you, it's kind of, it's one of those where it's just, it's just, like what I'd say is just, it's very like, you know, not even like you can, you're just finding just clear thought and uh, just people aren't afraid to just put out their opinions. Right. And, and I think that's great. Aspect, that's how you, that's how us as investors, we always work. We throw out our opinions based on what we've yeah. seen and we want to see if someone else says, Oh no, that's not right. Cause I saw yeah. this, this, and this from that back and forth, that's where you come to the best answer. For sure. And it, and I think this is like fundamentally changing the view of like how research pods exist. Right. So obviously Scott and I have a ton of synergies and we, you know, we talk strategy all the time, but in terms of like, you know, the amount of information insight that you, we get from Twitter, uh, just like the type of research team that we would need would it, would be like you know what I mean? it'd be like tens and tens and like, you know, you, you need upwards of 80 to hundred people. Really? Really? Yeah. But instead, instead of having to hire analysts, we have portfolio managers on Twitter who are give, feeding us information. So it's just right. it's so much more powerful. Yeah, and, and so it, it just really is like you, you, you use it in such an efficient way. Uh, you obviously still have your anchorings, your view, but uh, it's just a, you know, we see the power of what that platform has. Now on, on Snap, Scott, I, I have to say that had to be one of the greatest sleeper 
stocks that just took everyone by surprise. Like Evan Spiegel, like th that guy is like, no one talks about him, Scott. Like, like really, like outside of like when stuff like this happens, you're like, th like this guy really, uh, really understands um, social very well. Um, you know, he's obviously doesn't have the limelight of, of a Mark Zuckerberg or, a, you know, um, Jack Dorsey, but clearly he gets, he gets, He's, he is an innovator in the social space. Yeah. I mean, the company IPO'd, it was a disappointment. It basically hit its lows. I think it was 2018, maybe 2019. But he's yeah. pulled a turnaround because they were losing users. Now they're not losing them. They're just not growing super fast. But more than that, he's kept them engaged. And, and he keeps rolling out new products that I think he's just said, I can't be a Facebook. I can't be a Twitter. I need to be my own platform. And so that's where they're really trying. They're working on, you know, snap rolls out glasses all the time. They're on like their third version of glasses. They're really pushing because down the road, we're going to have augmented reality. It's still yeah, a ways yeah, yeah. away. It's not commercialized, but they're going harder than anyone else. And anyway, they have other things they're rolling out that are keeping those snap users on instead of a TikTok. Cause we know that Facebook's lost users yeah, to yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Instagram's lost users to TikTok. Snap is, is keeping the hemorrhaging to a minimum. You know what? At some time we got to do like kind of like an, like you know just a little deeper you know deeper dive. It's just such a fascinating story. He's not a he's not a programmer. He's not an engineer. He's like a designer, right? You know what I mean? Like it literally is the story of somebody who who got UX incredibly well. Snap is one of the best Nailed pure it. plays because you just said we're built around the camera on your phone. That's it. So everything is camera focused. And it keeps it really simple. And I think he's figured out the power in that. Of like, if if we just keep users who think of it the way we do, we're gonna roll out products that are gonna make us more money, and they're gonna be happy. So if you think about it, this new revolution, uh, TikTok would be included, uh, Instagram, uh, you know, all, all you know, Instagram's more recent pivots, etc. It all really stems back from how uh, Snap viewed the phone. Right, like it, like it really is through through that lens of the phone and just the video, like that, or as you said, the camera. Right, they were the first like, ones to embrace the camera on your phone and then realize how many things it could do, and so that yeah, got yeah. everyone away from I'm taking pictures on my camera, I'm uploading them. It was just I use my phone and I interact socially with people through the pictures and my camera on my phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. so yeah, we'll stuff. we'll keep watching Snap. Uh, we'll do a, a more of a deep dive to help you understand the products that they're rolling out. But Snap has been interesting on a valuation mm -hmm. basis. It's now priced as a um, a turnaround that's doing great things, but it's expensive. And that sometimes can make you money. But Twitter also is earlier in the turnaround and much, much cheaper. I think it's it's less yeah. than half the valuation. Yeah. All right. So that was earnings. We're going to have more this week. Twitter space is 9.30 a.m. But we got to talk oil, old, old school. We're going back to the old industries. We've been talking tech <laughs> yeah, for too yeah, long, yeah. but now we have potentially an oil shortage on our, on our hands. Our strategist, mm -hmm. Chris Wood, had a really good piece this week. Check that out on grizzle.com. I'm going to take you through the, the gist of it. What it comes down to is, so we had rolling lockdowns in 2020 globally and still oil demand. We have a good chart for you here. Oil demand was down like 6 6%. In 2020. So that That's just shows crazy. you how much we need oil, right? Oil's in everything. We were, people weren't going into the office. They were stuck at home. Third world countries, you know, they shut down their economy. India totally shut down. Still were down 
So where are we now? Vaccines are rolling out slowly in some places, faster than others. Yeah, but yeah. oil demand is coming rolling back, roaring back. And it could exceed that high. We got to about 100 million so, barrels a day. So, Scott, at the depths of, of when everything was locked down, we were down 15%, 15%. But if you average 2020, when there still were rolling lockdowns later in the year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, down so you're six. saying... Oh, you're all oh, right on. That's crazy. Yeah. So, That's oh, whoop-de-doo, down 6%, uh, right? Oh, I didn't, that shows, I didn't, like, how hard it's going to be to get off oil. It's going to take wow, a while. And wow. And and that really is, like, you know, um, you know, that really is the contrarian play here in the sense that everyone thinks, you know, it's an easy path off. But, you know. Yeah. So, so this so is the real problem. We have demand is quickly going to go back to 100 million because people are back on the road. When India, you know, um, cases have peaked. They're, they have vaccines that are rolling out, so India will get back to it. Asia will get back to it. We're, they're probably going to overshoot because people are going to go on more trips than they usually would. They're going to be out and about. Things come back. So we could get above 100. And usually this, this would feed through into higher prices, and then everyone starts drilling more in new supply. But we have some, a little different wrinkle now because governments and investors are all about renewables and yeah. EVs and windmills and solar panels. So there's pressure being put in these oil companies to not drill new wells, instead to build windmills and build solar panels. Right. That's great for the long-term for the planet, but we're talking the next year and a half, we need more oil, right? And and that doesn't necessarily, you know, like uh, BP is a classic example, you know, focusing on clean, et cetera. That doesn't replace what their current uh, energy source is feeding, right? It's feeding cars. Right. It's kind of, you know, you're addressing an electrical grid now. And obviously, you know, that doesn't necessarily always go back to an EV vehicle. EV vehicles are such a small part of the overall, um, you know, it's, it really is transportation that gets clipped. Yeah. Ideally, you need the cars to consume what the industry is producing. You can't have a mismatch for too long. And so no. they're going to electricity right when the cars haven't really gotten there yet. So that's not helpful because the cars still need their oil. Where are these guys? They're not producing it. So we need more oil than ever. Yeah. And the governments are saying, no, 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 you should be investing in something else. And then investors are waging you know, activist campaigns saying, don't you put another dollar into oil? <laughs> it's not the right time. So yeah. we could be looking at another price spike like 2008, where we saw $100 plus oil. Um, so you got to be prepared for that because... We have demand coming back very quickly. We could get later through the year if demand goes back to 100 million. And then you have, so OPEC, there's two pieces to the puzzle here if supply mm -hmm. can meet demand. OPEC has held back production because they're a cartel. That's what they do. They try to keep yeah. prices high. They've said they're going to open the taps a bit. They could open the taps even more and it still won't be enough because they just haven't held back enough. So you do need some supply from other places. Well, usually shale has been that spot since 2011. Yeah. But again, investors are putting a lot of pressure on shale and the best wells in those shale basins may have been produced already. There's a chart in Chris Wood's piece this week that just looks at kind of the major basins and supply out of shale peaked in 2019. It's never gotten back to new highs. So yeah. I don't know if shale will be there. The reason shale's so important is it comes on and off within three to six months. That's much faster than other sources of supply. So if we have a very acute supply shortage, you need shale because it's your first source of defense, supply defense, and it may not be there this time. Now, the interesting part is how you play that. I mean, individual stocks work, 
But if you look at the oil ETF, the oil E&P ETF, it looks interesting there because really the, the, the price performance has been driven by the oil price. But if you look at flows yeah. of money into the ETF, it's been like nothing since 2020. Flows are up, I think it's 6%, while the price of the ETF is up 180%. So that what, that, what does that tell you? It's mainly short covering in the oil ETF. It's not real buying. So we still could get a big flow in if oil takes yeah. another leg higher and then you'd see some some good performance from the ETF. So that's a diversified way to play it by the oil and gas E&P ETF instead of trying to pick and choose your your oil company. Yeah, that that was a pretty phenomenal stat that you know when Chris presented that I was like, wow. And and so the same thing he looked at for copper, uh, the COPEX, which is the big uh, the copper miner ETF. That's uh, inflows are up ninefold. Right? Yeah, so that's what you should see if the price is doing really well and beating the market people are going to buy it. Oil and gas, people are like, ah, it's it's run too much or I hate oil and gas. I'm not buying it. The flows just aren't there, but they could be there. Yeah, totally. You know what? It just, it's just, you know, you may have just had a burn generation, right? Of investors were like, I'm not touching this ever, ever I was in there, man. I, I was in meetings with people and they'd be like, is oil just dead? You know, I'm a portfolio yeah. manager. I can own lots of things. I've owned oil. It's been a dog forever in my portfolio. Just yeah. get it out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you like want to see. When everyone's left something for dead in investing, it usually ends up putting up some good returns for you. All right, we're here at the main event now. Robin Hood, Scott. Robin Hood. Robin Heat Bombers. <laughs> well, I, oh, I, oh, I, love, I love that management team, man. They give you a lot of material. But more than that, you know, Robin Hood is one of the most important IPOs because number one, it's a polarizing company. I mean, these guys have been on TV. They've been at uh, Senate hearings. People love them. People hate them. Because remember, they were front and center in that GameStop saga where everyone who was trying to play GameStop going to the moon, they locked some people's accounts and says, all you can do is sell GameStop. You can't buy any more. People lost money on that. So it's going to be interesting with this IPO. Do retail investors support this stock or do they say, I don't like Robinhood. I'm not going to touch this thing anymore. And that, that's going to be important to determine how it you know, trades on day one and day 10. Yeah, you know, and, and Vlad is, uh, you know, Vlad, you know, viewed it this view early on uh, in in this year, you know, viewed as a super villain. You know, he tried to tried to do the makeup tour and uh, you know the whole thing, but you know, not allowing uh, you know GameStop um, uh, bulls to buy more GameStop, right? It's you know kind of you know that that's uh, and they've uh, and then the traders on the platform viewed that as a complicit, uh, you know nod wink whatever to citadel and the rest of the you know the cronies on wall street and say hey listen cover your uh, cover your head just now <laughs> yeah screw over the little guys for the big guys in any way it's a tough pill to swallow and you remember you're in the heat of the moment and suddenly your account is locked and we know that the stock kind of topped out right around then so some people lost some money because of that there's no doubt around it and we know robin hood did it to kind of save themselves from bankruptcy because the clearing firm that handles the whole market said, you used to give us $500 million just to protect ourselves from trades breaking, give us yeah. $5 billion and they didn't have it. So it's just, just a, wow. um, you know, life or death situation. They had to lock people's accounts, have people forgotten. The reason it matters what the customers of Robinhood think is because this is gonna be the first IPO where 30% of the shares are being given to retail investors. Usually it's like 1%, 2%. 
So this is really right. a really important IPO because if this does well, it could set the tone for how IPOs are set up in the future. A lot more retail participation. This would be a game changer. So Scott, you know, I've never, you know, I've just never assumed that it's it's functional or whatever as a retail investor to participate in IPOs. I don't even know if it was even one percent, and that would, but the thirty percent of participants in this IPO will be from regular retail accounts. Now, is, does that expand to beyond Robinhood? If I have a Schwab account, will I be able to access that 30% or is no, that- No, I think Robinhood's taking the advantage. You gotta be a Robinhood customer if you want into the Robinhood IPO before it starts trading. It's a great wow. marketing vehicle. Yeah. That's so th there's a reason, right? Why haven't retail investors been able to buy pre-IPO shares in the, in the past? Isn't it the industry? They know that retail investors are more likely to sell into that day one, um, pop that it usually has than big institutions. And that hurts the day one pop and the whole uh, view from the market that this is a success. Because a lot of people look at well, these IPOs, if the stock goes up while well, it's a successful yeah. company, if it, if it goes down, it must be a crappy company. Another way to think about it is it's a food chain, right? So basically, you know, you've got your VCs up front, uh, you know, multiple rounds, then you get to institutional. Um, and so basically, VCs unloading on institutional and then institutional then needs a uh, you know it then needs uh, someone down the food chain to then bid it up right you can't mix the pools right and that the the problem therein lies the problem is in the sense that that first day pop uh is because retail can't get a hold of it this is the only way they can participate is by buying it heavily on the open and what does that create scott liquidity right liquidity yeah. for everyone to get out and so once you start to mix these pools uh this is why things are getting so fascinating man you're starting to see crazy things happening that to to our own we were even talking about this we're, we're very curious to see what happens it'll be fascinating yeah, I mean, ideally, the pot, the first day pop is not good for the company because remember, they'll say, we'll sell you our shares for 20 bucks. If it hits 28 on the first trade, they lost $8 of value. They should have been able to sell. That's the argument being made for why the IPO process should change. So what I think could happen is if you have more retail investors, well, they're willing to pay 26 maybe right away. And then if it pops to 28, okay, they've lost $2 instead of six. So it's kind of bringing that that first day pop. It probably will bring it down, but in favor of the company. So less value is going to those institutions that you know get their one day pop. Now the company is capturing more of it, which is a good thing for the companies. But we'll have yeah. to see because at the end of the day, retail investors usually equal more volatility in a stock, more up and down. Yeah, and so something else to think about and consider, Scott, because you know I always think about like you know you're a brand new stock. You you have have no history right you have no like there's no thumbprint of you um and everything you want to do as it to think of a stock as a as a living being right uh the last thing you want it to, is to be is this erratic thing right again coming back to our original yeah, unpredictability Bitcoin, people do not like that no people don't like so this whole idea of mega pops and falls and etc and it's just i think the best whatever the best pathway that gets something ipo'd without a big pop or a big drop and it just kind of steadily goes up is the optimal way i would say the risk so if the old the old format was that you had a pop and the company left left money on the table fine 
Um, but if the new world is that there's a lot of retail and now it drops immediately because everyone's just trying to sell, they think that it's, uh, you know, you just get two different looks at, at probably the same problem um, where it's not an optimal situation for the stock. And irrespective of how much money the company leaves on the table, right, Scott? Like, I put it this way. Even if there was like $10 I left on the table, but the stock was super stable over the next seven years, I'll take that every day. Yes, yeah. True. Because you can right. do things. Remember, this is what's great about the stock market. If your stock is high, you can do acquisitions with it. You can raise money and do other things. So there's part of where success breeds success. And just the act of your stock being high and performing well can lead to more business success for you. So it's not so cut and yeah. dry of just stock high or good, stock low or bad. You can actually, the business can win or lose based on where the stock price is. Because For you sure. can lend, you can borrow in the public markets. Yeah. So, I mean, this, we don't know exactly when it's going to start trading, but we're going to keep covering it every which way until it does. And then you should watch it yeah. because what Robinhood does could change the IPO market forever after. Now, what we're talking about, these pre-IPO shares, remember 30% of them are going to retail. If you want to be one of those people, you can. So let's talk a little bit about how you can get access to these IPO shares. Number one, you have to be a customer of Robinhood. You have to have an account. And then you can put in, I think there's an area of the site where you can see what the IPO shares are that are being offered and Robinhood would be one of those. And then you could put okay. in an offer. So you say, okay, I want to participate and how many shares I want. Now you don't get to pick the price, right? Because they're figuring out what the price is and they don't ask you, they'll just set it. But what happens is, you, you can get your allocation once the price is set. And then if the price changes more than 20% up or down from there before it starts trading, they'll let you know. They'll say, okay, it's moved a lot. Are you still okay with participating? If you don't answer, you'll lose your participation. It'll take you out. If you say yes, you'll still get your allocation, but you're not guaranteed shares then. The way they do it is they built a computer program and it randomly determines who gets shares from the pool of people who said, yes, I want some. So I don't think it's pro rata, which would mean if there's a thousand people that want it and there's a thousand shares, everyone gets one share. What they do is they randomly pick people, give them all the shares they want until they've run out and say, right. if they run out, then you wouldn't get your allocation because you weren't picked. Or if the price has moved more than 20%, there are certain people that were said they were in, they got picked, but then they fall out. Well, then they'll redistribute their shares. So that kind of determines, it, it's kind of, it's randomly first come first serve. It's not everyone gets a little bit of shares. That's the way to look at the process. Right, yeah, so a little bit of a lotto combined with Yeah, they, they think that's the democratized way to do it. It is good because they're doing it randomly. Friends of management, don't get more shares than you or I would. Everyone's on equal footing. So hopefully it actually is working that way. But you're not guaranteed to get in, even if you uh, apply and say, I want some Robinhood shares. But that's the way you'd go about doing it. And do we know, have, have they started to ratchet up the price uh, price level? Where, where did it start it at? It started at 42. 42 was it? So 42 yeah, is the 42. first price. It's definitely going to go higher. We haven't had that new filing. They'll put out a new filing with a newer price closer to the IPO date. And then still yeah. on the night before, it could go even higher. I think it will go yeah. higher. In this IPO market, almost every IPO has gone higher from the initial price. Yeah. Um, so, Scott, I think there was uh, there was news uh, that basically uh, 
could be a rumor, um, but the, but uh, Robinhood saying is no flipping of IPOs. So, so I'm not yeah, sure that's another rule on the platform. If you want to buy these IPO shares and you get filled and you sell them before 30 days have passed, you're kind of marked as a flipper on the platform and they'll cut you off from getting any new IPO shares for two months. So you, so you can oh, still do wow. it if you want to flip Robinhood. Just be aware you won't be able to get any new IPO shares for 60 days. So that's to discourage. Okay, right. Remember, we talked about retail investors. If they see, say, a 50% gain on day one, which usually can yeah. happen, they're more, they, yeah. they kind of want to lock in those gains versus uh, an institution doesn't do it as quickly and as kind of haphazardly. Oh, man, there's a lot of flippers in the institutions. No, yeah, so the institutions are flipping, but they're not selling their whole stake at the market in one minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? Like, I'm so curious, Scott. I kind of have – I have a lot of like – what's the word for it? What's that word? You have a lot of questions, Uh, it sounds like. Not questions. And I think like institutions are very – like, you know, I know – I know – I know, I know the hedge funds that are just, you know, just get the flip. They, you know, they're getting the allocation. They're flipping it immediately. Uh, this is how they pad their year, yearly numbers. Uh, it goes right to retail hands. Um, you know, I know uh, very big, boring, long funds that do this because, you know, the, the fact is they don't really have any genuine alpha. So any little, like, scrape that they can get along the way it's all great and these are like from big institutions so i don't know i'm very curious how this all shakes out this is so interesting because i think the best way you guys should all think about it is 30 percent of the retail investors who may have bought Robinhood are now getting their shares prior to the ipo so they're not buyers anymore right and so there's 30 percent of the institutional pool that's not getting filled now but tom knowing them are they going to then buy at the ipo or are they just saying oh well we'll move on to the next ipo yeah, they're going to move on. Yeah, exactly. Right? So that, that just means 30% less buying from institution and 30% less buying once the stock starts trading publicly, potentially. Yeah. Do, do they just cancel each other out? I don't even know. You know, you, you, you know I, they I guess could, we're best case, they cancel out. each other out. But if it's all these retail yeah. investors that would have bought on the first day that are not, they're sellers now. Well, then you have more sellers yeah, than you yeah, would have yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the way to yeah, I think you're right. The way to money and all that sort of stuff. So, anyhow, uh, fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. Scott, we got to end it off with uh, a final one. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's you got to show this coffee chart. Uh, coffee so suddenly allowed. Coffee, coffee caught a bid, going parabolic now. Look at that. Coffee is up a hundred percent year over year now, Scott. That's what we're looking at from the lows. From the lows of like. From the lows of 2020, we're up 100%. Yeah, so just um, if, if you can't see it, the numbers are, I think coffee um, was at about 110. I think this is, is this cents or dollars? I, I don't know what the unit is. So is that 110? It's, some, it's now it's now <laughs> up to 211. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so a full full on doubling here. Uh, now the question is, will that hit your price of Joe? In, in uh, you know, uh, typically these guys make, the margin is healthy in a cup of coffee. Yeah, and it takes time for this to flow through. I know that the coffee shops, they don't want to raise prices. So it's not the same as, you know, lumber guys are like, you know, the lumber is the market price. Let's change it. Uh, these guys would take local coffee shops sometimes waited three months, six months to up prices when prices were, were going up in the past. And, and the cause of this, Scott, is Brazilian, what was it? Frost? There's a frost or, in Brazil, a major supplier <clears throat> of coffee. So people are worried that means less coffee beans on the market. Yeah, and 
Uh, and so again, so should you be going out and buying coffee like you were buying toilet paper? You don't need to be hoarding any coffee, not. I don't think. <laughs> Likely not. Hey, Scott, pull up that. Let's take a, let's take a look at the U-turn of lumber, yeah. guys. And if you were following the Grizzle Pod, we've been very clear about this. We know commodities well. Scott and I have both been covering it for basically our full careers. Yep. Um, when we talk about commodities that you don't chase, you don't chase them just because, you know, you know, we know the dynamic here. And lo and behold, Scott, pull that up. So oh. when lumber went to 1600 a board foot from 500, all we had to look at is we looked at, okay, what's the price of trees? What's the price of lumber? Okay, trees, the prices haven't moved. Lumber's going to the moon. Well, we know there's more than enough trees. So it's a, just a problem with the sawmills. It'll turn around. And then lo and behold, there was just as it went up, it went down even faster. Yeah, there you go. So luckily, so, if, you're, uh, if you're doing any so home improvements... You can, uh, prices should be getting better for you because it topped out at 1600. It fell all the way to 500. We're now at 630 a board foot. So, uh, we are predicting this, calling this, uh, coffee will, coffee is the new lumber. It'll come back to earth. Yeah. You can keep drinking your, uh, your morning coffee. It's not going to break the bank anytime soon. No, no. Um, yeah, guys. Well, thank you for joining the grizzle pod. Uh, it was a good one. Uh, that's 21, number 21, Grizzle Pods. Wow. Uh, so, Scott, just to remind everyone, there's uh, the morning. Oh, so if you're on Twitter, you'll find us on Spaces in the Morning Talking Earnings. It's, it's been a fun scrum. Uh, we've been doing that. Uh, also, check out Scott's TikTok. If you got a TikTok account. And also, uh, that's on YouTube and, yeah. and Insta. It's on, it's on all if you just, If you just check out Grizzle Me on any of the social platforms, you'll, you'll find us pretty yeah. much. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. And um, and uh, I'm trying to think of so, so yeah, we'll be back next week. It's a, it's a good one. Twenty. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you for twenty two.